0: Everyone has had those moments in life where you've got a question to ask, but it's a little awkward or embarrassing, and, and you really want to know, but you don't want anybody to know that you're the one who knows. So in times like that, isn't it convenient just to have a friend who needs to know? Like, I'm asking this question, about, not asking for me. No, I'm asking for my friend, and they're the ones who know. There are times, though, like we all know who's really asking the question, right? It's, it's you. Just go ahead and fess up. Like, I I was looking through Twitter. There were some people who posted up questions asking for a friend, but they were a little bit too specific. I think they were really asking for themselves. Like, check this out. Andrew tweeted, I'm asking for a friend. What's the appropriate number of hours a day for a grown-up man to spend trying to build a real lightsaber? Okay, Andrew's friend. I think as long as it takes, right? That's a worthwhile endeavor. Sammy wants to know, I'm asking for a friend. How many calories do you burn standing on the scale crying? (laughs) poor, Poor Sammy's friend. Asking for a friend. Let's just say a 35-year-old man wants to go see the Taylor Swift concert. How could he go and not look creepy? I've got this one. Don't go. If you're not taking a preteen daughter to the Taylor Swift concert, don't go by yourself because you will look creepy. Uh, Lucy asks, Anyone know how to perform an exorcism? Asking for a friend. Okay, so I'm wondering, Lucy, are you the one who's demon-possessed? Who's the friend asking about the exorcism? And Christine asks a question, How many years is it in jail for stealing like eight cute puppies? Everybody keep an eye on Christine or Christina sorry, Christina. Lucy wants and oh, I'm sorry, I already talked about Lucy um, and some, this person was anonymous. I'm asking for a friend, how bad is it if a Labrador retriever ate a whole bag of Oreos, including the bag? I actually know the answer to this one, <laughs> having a lab, a chocolate lab. It will not kill them. It will make them really hyper for a while, but they're going to be good. So Alex's friend wants to know, Is it, okay to, is it still okay to say cool beans? No, Alex. And it never really was okay to say cool beans, so if this is in your vocabulary, eliminate it. So Patrick, Patrick tweeted this out. Anyone know if Rosetta Stone makes a a version for successfully talking to women? I'm asking for a friend. My first piece of advice for for Patrick would be, get your friend to talk to women for you. (laughs) right? And my very favorite one, asking for a friend, is it okay to wear a Snuggie to pick up my daughter from school? Yes, and how many of you are like bonus points if the mom gets out of the car and waves to all her friends right? <laughs> asking for a friend. We all know what that's like. We want to know some information and you know you, you want to know but you don't want anybody to know it's you. So that's the point of the message series we're doing for the next several weeks. We're going to ask those questions that are kind of awkward and difficult and answer them here in church. So we're asking questions about God and faith and things that you really maybe want to know, but like you don't want to put it out there. So, like, you're thinking, like, what does the Bible teach about this? I, I really always wondered that, but I didn't want to ask. Or what does God, how does God feel about that? Does he have an opinion? Like, is there something in the Bible that talks about that? We're going to do that. In fact, here's what I would invite you to do. Again, talking about the Connect card, if you've got a question that you would like to have answered, or several questions, write it down on there. You can, you can be in charge of what the sermon's going to be several weeks from now. You You can uh, tweet it if you would like. Put it on our Facebook page. You can email it to me. You can um, catch me in the hall afterwards. If you want it to be like from a friend, just fill out a connect card and don't put your name on it. Or better yet, look at the person sitting next to you and write their name on your question. You can really be asking for a friend that way. And so you get to kind of help determine the messages for the next several weeks. Today, the question we're going to tackle is this one. Can a saved person lose their salvation? Can they? It's a, it's a question a lot of people have got. Can, I save per, can a Christian become like not a Christian at some point in the future? It's. Uh, I don't want you to raise your hand or anything, but have you ever wondered that? It's a, I will tell you in my experience, I've been doing this a long time, it's a question a lot of people have. You know, is there like this, this moment where somebody was going to heaven, but they're not anymore? Is that even possible? How does that happen? And you know, people don't want to ask the question because they're like, if you ask the question, somebody's going to immediately look at you like, okay, so what are you doing that you're even asking the question? So it gets awkward. But and again, in my experience, we really care about the answer to this. There's, isn't there a lot on the line? If there is really an eternity and people spend eternity somewhere, this is a good question to ask and answer. Why are we so concerned about this, though? I think for, one of us, one thing, for a lot of us, this is a relational question. And you think about this because you're here today, so there's on some level there's something going on. You're either exploring faith or you have faith in God. But for some of us, we would say, yeah, I'm related to somebody or I work with someone or there's somebody I care about who at one point in their life expressed faith in God and Jesus. They, they went all in. They said, I'm a Christian. They were baptized. But now, not so much. Maybe you've got a brother or a sister or a grown child or a, you know, just somebody that you work with. that There was a time in their life where they were fully involved, fully engaged. You could see evidence that they were a Christian but now not so much. You know, they're, they're not going to church. There's, maybe they're even leading a lifestyle that you would say, well, that's really not something a Christian would do. And it could even be that if you ask them, like, are you, are you still a Christian? They maybe say, yeah, but there's nothing that you see that says that's true, and so you're kind of nervous for them maybe, right? maybe. Or maybe you would even ask them, are you still a Christian? And they would just point blank say, no. I mean, I believe that at one point, but I don't anymore. I'm not really into that anymore. It's just not how I think anymore. And you're wondering, how do they stand with God now? Are they out? So it's a relational question. You know, for a lot of us, it goes beyond relationships, so it's a personal question. You're sitting here today, and I triggered something, and your adrenaline spiked, because you're kind of wondering for yourself, is there an invisible line, and have I crossed it? Do I cross it multiple times a day? And am I okay with God? If if somebody were to ask you, like, if, if Jesus came back today or you died tonight, would you go to heaven? Your first gut reaction would be, oh, gosh, I hope so, right? You know, I, I don't know. I think so. I'd like to believe. I don't want to be arrogant about it. And so there's a question in your own mind. This is very personal for you. Like, you really want to know. Is, is it even possible to know? And uh, you know, I, I even, I, again, I've been doing this a long time. And I've I've felt sometimes and I've talked to a lot of people who feel like, Where you stand with God is something that varies day to day or even moment to moment. And I've got to ask, is that really what God intended when when he offers us salvation? We'll get into that. But, you know, this is a question we wrestle with because we're not perfect, right? Let's just all acknowledge that. If you came here looking for the perfect church, you haven't found it, so just keep going because it's not here. Um, I think all of us would admit there's no perfect people in this building so Gene Apple, he's a pastor out in California. He was talking about a guy who caught him after service, and he was like, Gene, I got a question. So what if a committed Christian falls into adultery, which, you know, a lot of people experienced, or, you know, it's just a question people have, but I didn't know you could fall into adultery, but that was the way he asked the question. It was an honest question. So he said, like, so if somebody falls into adultery, they're a Christian, and they die, without, like, repenting of that sin, Would would they go to hell? Because they're a Christian, but they haven't really repented of the sin yet? So... You see what I'm saying here. This is like a question. A lot of people, none of us can say I've lived my life completely without any regrets. I've always done the things I was supposed to. You know, there's things I no. All of us would say there's things I knew I was supposed to do and I just didn't do it. And there were things I knew I shouldn't have done and I did. So we all know that sensation of like. So what does that mean if I'm a Christian who say I love Jesus and follow Him, but I don't always do what He says? What does that do to my salvation? So it's a question we've got. Fortunately, I got to tell you this is this is good news for us that it's not just a relational question or a personal question. It's a biblical question. The Bible actually does talk quite a bit about our salvation. So that's the thing that we're going to do today. It's the thing we're going to do all through this message series as we look at the questions that you ask. What does the Bible say? We're a church that really starts here. Now, if the Bible doesn't say anything about something, then we're free to have our own opinions and we can agree to disagree. There are even times when two Christians can read this and disagree about what it means, and I get that. But at the beginning of everything, we want to say, what does God say? What has he told us through Jesus? What has he told us through the teaching of the Bible? And that's what we're going to do today. So the question we're going to talk about today is, can a saved person lose their salvation? Or maybe, if I could put it in a little more positive tone, can you know for certain that you are saved? It's a great question, we're going to answer that today. So if you've got a Bible, you may want to pull this out. And if you have a worship folder, there's a place in there where there's notes. You'll notice I've got a lot of scriptures listed out there good luck keeping up. Some of you got smartphones, so you might be able to preload some of those in the Bible app. Here's my advice to you. If you can't keep up, don't worry. All of these verses will be on the screen. You can go back at your leisure later today or sometime this week and think about these and go look through these verses again. But what I want to do is go kind of quickly through a whole lot of verses that talk about the idea of your salvation and security. I'm going to start in Hebrews 13, and this is God himself speaking. Hebrews 13, 5. God says, I will never leave you or forsake you. That sounds pretty clear, doesn't it? How about this one? Romans 11, 20, 29. God doesn't take back the gifts he's given or forget about the people he's chosen. Again, that's very reassuring, right? I love that verse. Or how about this? Jesus says this in John ten twenty seven. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they know me. I give them eternal life, and they will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who's given them to me is greater than all and no one will be able to snatch them out of my Father's hand. Again, how reassuring is that? Again, I want to point to something else Jesus said. Revelation chapter 3. You go to the end of the Bible. And Jesus said this. All who are victorious will be clothed in white. I will never erase their names from the book of life, but I will announce before my Father and his angels that they, we, are his. That they are mine. Man, I love that verse. Romans 8:39. If you don't have this memorized, you should memorize this. If you are a Christian, this is Bible truth about you. Nothing in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. That's as true as anything ever gets. And that's talking about you. Now, if you ask the question, can you really know for certain you're saved? Well, look at what the Bible says in 1 John chapter 5 verse 13. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life. You should memorize that verse. And it is not arrogant to say, if somebody asks you, are you a Christian, are you going to heaven? It's not arrogant to say, yes, I am. I know that I have eternal life. It started the moment I put my faith in Jesus, and it will never go away. That's the assurance of the Bible. In fact, it says in Hebrews 6.11, we desire that each one of you show the same earnestness to have the full assurance of hope until the end. This is biblical truth, and I don't want you to miss out what the Bible teaches you about your salvation and mine. When you say yes to Jesus, all of this is true for you. It's an amazing thing. God is not going to change his mind about you. There's not anyone who's going to come along and say, God, I know you agreed to save them, but I've got something that says you can't. Nobody can snatch you out of God's hands. It cannot happen. And it sounds such like such a beautiful thing that if we were just to stop right here, it's just like we've answered the question. Sermon's done. Let's have communion and offering and we'll go home. But I've read the whole Bible all the way through and there's some other verses that kind of give me pause that seem like they kind of contradict what I've just read. You ever read any of these? Like let me get into a couple of them and you can just see what I'm talking about. For example, 1 Corinthians 9, 27, the Apostle Paul wrote this about himself. I discipline my body like an athlete. Training it to do what it should. Otherwise, I fear after preaching to others, I myself might be disqualified. This is the Apostle Paul, and he says, I'm very careful that I don't tell other people about how to find salvation, and then I myself find myself being disqualified from salvation. He sounded like somebody who's a little bit worried about losing his salvation. Again, he says this later on in the same letter to this Corinthian church, 1 Corinthians 15. Brothers and sisters, I want to remind you of the gospel that I preached to you, which you received. Which you've taken your stand. By this gospel you are saved. What's the word? If. If introduces a conditional clause. All the things I just said are true if this condition happens. What's the condition? If you hold firmly to the word that I preach to you. Otherwise, you've believed in vain. What I'm getting here is Paul is saying you're going to be saved as long as you continue to hold on to the word I preached you. As long as you keep trusting that, you're fine. But I got to keep going because there's other examples. Like the entire book of Galatians in your Bible is written to a group of Christians who are in danger of something grave, and Paul writes this huge warning letter to them, saying, "Guys, you believed in Jesus. You you put your whole faith and trust in Him, and now I'm getting this this." message that you guys are considering converting to Judaism to start following the Jewish law instead of Jesus? Do you understand how, how scary a thing that is, people? And he says this Galatians Galatians 5.4, if you're trying to make yourselves right with God by keeping the law, the Jewish law, you've been cut off from Christ. You've fallen away from God's grace. Okay, so this verse sounds like you were saved, but you're in danger of not being saved anymore. And you can go on. The whole book of Hebrews, same way. It's written to a group of Christians who are being persecuted for their faith. They are in danger of drifting away from Jesus. So, so what do we do with this? You've got these verses, the first verses I read, that all seem to like say, you're good. Don't ever sweat it. And then you've got the verses that say, just be careful. Which one is it? I have to, in full disclosure, this I'm going to tell you, there are some things that Christians agree to disagree on. This is kind of one of those categories where Christians agree to disagree. There are some Christians who would say, and they look at all the verses we read first and say, Once you're saved, there's really nothing that can happen to unsave you. And I'll, then there's another group. I'll just go ahead and tell you what they are, and then I'll tell you, we'll go through them. But the other group would say, Yeah you can probably lose your salvation one way or another. There's something you could do that, that could make you unsaved. So you've got these, and I'm, I'm kind of really overgeneralizing. Now, I think as I read the Bible, we probably ought to err towards here. It's a lot harder to lose your salvation, but the Bible does seem to say there's a possibility. Now, over here, the people who are here, I, I love this group, like, you know, there's this security, we ought to have it, but it can be taken too far to an extreme. You may hear the doctrine just here. It could be called perseverance of the saints. Um, Taken too far, Jack Cottrell calls this an error called once saved, always saved. And the idea is it takes even the idea of perseverance of the saints or eternal security further, and it says no matter what, no matter what happens in your mind, once you check the box and say yes to Jesus, you can't ever go back on that. It's just, It's a permanent thing. You're just always saved no matter what. So when I was a little kid, a revival speaker came to preach at our church, and I was a newer Christian, so I I went to everything our church did. And I remember he was an old guy, and he talked about when he was a young preacher, he would go out, if he was doing a revival, he'd go knock on people's doors and go like door to door and invite people to church, which I know that sounds so bizarre, right? Somebody knocks on your door and you didn't ask them to come over, isn't that like hide? (laughs) There was a time in American history when people knocked on your door, you invited them in and you talked, even if you didn't agree with them. So he's out, and he knocks on one guy's door. It's an old guy that answers the door. So we're talking like way back. We're probably in the early 20th century. Old guy answers the door. The, The preacher invites him to come to the revival he's preaching. And the old guy says, Preacher, I was dunked and done 65 years ago and never been to a church since, and I'm fine with the Lord, and he's fine with me. That's taking the idea of eternal security to the extreme that I'm talking about. The question that pops up in my mind is, So what you're saying is, as long as you check all the right boxes, I was dunked and done, I was baptized, there's nothing else. Your faith in Jesus made you do nothing else over 65 years. You never needed to go to church or do anything else that was not to save you, but to be an evidence of your faith in Jesus. Do you really have faith in Jesus to begin with if it never leads you to do anything in your life? So that's that kind of that extreme position I'm talking about. And here's where I see the problem with that, and I think you can see it too, It doesn't allow for free will. God paid a terrible price to make sure human beings have free will. Giving us free will meant that he had to send Jesus to die for us. Why would he do something that immediately takes away your free will? If you can say yes to Jesus, my assumption is at some point, whether that's a horrible decision to do, you could probably make the decision to say no to Jesus after you've said yes to him. That's the problem I have with that extreme. And and here's one of the sadder verses in the Bible... Is the Apostle Paul. He's talking to a young preacher named Timothy that he had mentored. He's his young protege. So Paul writes this letter. It's 1 Timothy chapter 1, where Paul says, Timothy, cling to your faith in Christ, and hey, keep your conscience clear. For some people, and he's talking about Christians here, some people have deliberately violated their consciousness, consciences, and as a result, they shipwrecked their faith. What a powerful image. You had a faith in Jesus, and you shipwrecked it. And then Paul gets specific. He names names. You don't want to get your name in the Bible for something like this. Hymenaeus and Alexander are two examples. I threw them out and I handed them over to Satan so they might not learn to blaspheme God. I see these guys. They at one point loved Jesus. They may have been leaders in their church. But something happened in their life they stopped paying attention to their conscience. They ignored their conscience. They start doing things that are wrong. And that's not what moved them away from God. Like, it's like God says, you know what? You've sinned too much. You're out. What happened was is they ignored their conscience. They cared less and less about Jesus, and they had less and less faith about Jesus. So it came to the point where they, of their own free will, chose to walk away from Jesus. Let me tell you the danger of this extreme here. The danger is not that God will change his mind about you. That's not going to happen. The danger is that you will change your mind about him. You sin long enough as a Christian and enough without even caring, without even repenting, without even expressing sorrow over your sinfulness. You will maybe find yourself back in the place where you were before you were saved, where you don't care about God. You have no faith in Jesus. And at that point, it's very easy for you just to go, I'm done with him. Now, I want to give you an encouragement here before I move on. I think you can let go of God, but I think he holds on to you even after you let go of him, which is why I tend to err on this side. Good luck letting go of God. He's going to chase you down. So if you feel like the story of your life up to this point has been running away from God, and at one point you were good with him, I want you to know you can always come back home because he's waiting for you. So that's the extreme and there's, there's another extreme though, and it's the group I talk about here, the group of verses that talk about there is a danger, there is an if in there. People in this group can go too far and they completely forget about all the other verses that talk about the assurance of we have in Christ. And the danger here, as Jack Cottrell calls it, is always trying, but you're never sure. And I think that's where a lot of people reside. And I, I don't really worry about this extreme because I think most people actually live here, like worrying day to day whether they're saved or not. So there are people who I really believe think from day to day and moment to moment that God is either happy with them or sad with them, angry with them. They're either in the will or out of the will based on how sinful they've been that day. Um, <coughs> excuse me. So like as I said earlier, like, if somebody asks you, are you saved? If Jesus came back tonight, would you go to heaven? You, you're like, I don't know. I, I would hope so, but I've been kind of bad for a while now. And I missed communion the last two weeks, and I didn't really pay attention to the sermon when I was there, so like I just don't know. In my experience, some Christians, I'm not trying to insult you, but some of you believe the only way for you to know for sure that you're going to be in heaven when you die is for you to die in church service, taking communion, praying first John one nine. If we are you know, if we confess our sins, God is faithful and just He will forgive our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Like, that's the only way you think you know for sure that you're going to make it to heaven. And I feel so bad for you. Do you know what you remind me of? The person who gets on an airplane for the first time and doesn't feel like they can fully sit in the seat because they're afraid the plane will not be able to carry them. You know how airplanes work, right? Whether or not you put your weight into the seat, it will carry you. You know how salvation works, right? God is powerful to save you. Do you think God didn't know how many sins you would commit in your life before he agreed to save you? really? Just think that one through. He not only knew all the sins you have committed up to the point that you confess Jesus and you're baptized, he knows something you don't know. He knows all the sins you're going to commit in the future in your life. And he still said, yes, I will take you into my family. I will save you. I will adopt you as my child. Always trying, never sure is a horrible place to live. You know what the danger of this is? the danger over here is that you will miss out on the joy and the assurance and the peace that God fully intended you to have as one of his children, as a member of his family. When he saved you, that's why the gospel is called good news. It's good news. You tell somebody God's going to forgive all of your sins. You mean even the ones I do on purpose? Yes. Wow, that's good news. Yes, it is. That's why it seems scandalous. That's why we can't really wrap our mind around it. We think, well, there must be some kind of a clause there or a condition. Yes, it's the clause of just don't give up on Jesus. Don't walk away from him. That's the, that's the only clause there is. Just stay faithful to him. Just, just trust him. You think, well, there's got to be something more. No, there's not. That's it. You know, it's the, danger. the only danger is that somebody convinces you to give up on Jesus, which Satan does every day. So those are the two extremes, and I don't want you to live in either one of them. In my experience, most people live here. So what's the truth? Again, quoting Jack Cottrell, he's a theologian, he's a scholar, I really respect him. He says the the place you really ought to live to respect what the Bible says is always trusting, simply forgiven. That's what the Bible teaches. You're always trusting Jesus and you realize you are just forgiven. The best thing you can do is every day, just do what you did when you accepted Jesus to begin with. Just put your faith in him every day and trust him to save you. Now, there is a verse I want you to turn to. If you've been, like, kind of scanning through these, turn to Ephesians chapter 2. It's in the New Testament. It's toward the end of the Bible. Feel free to use the table of contents if you want, or, you know, look up in your Bible app. It's EPH, Ephesians chapter 2. We're going to park here for a second, and this is something I want you to marinate on. If you're thinking about something later this week, this is the one to think about. All right, so Ephesians chapter 2, I'm going to go ahead and read verses 8 and verse 9. If you want to follow along on the screen, that's fine. It says, God saved you by his grace when you believe. And you can't take credit for this. It's a gift from God. Salvation is not a reward for the good things we've done, so nobody can boast about it. All right, so thanks. if you look at the screen here, this verse is up there. What does it say? How did God save you? By what? Go ahead and say it out loud. What did God save you by? Grace. Grace, you may or may not know what that means. Grace is a gift that's given to you. You don't earn it. It's just a gift. So in my experience, what do you do with a gift? Do you earn gifts? No, you you accept them and you say, thank you. Your salvation is a gift. God's not looking for really good people that he says, okay, you're good enough. I'm going to give you salvation. And those people, they're just too far gone. God offers salvation to everyone the worst person you can imagine. God says, I'm willing to give you the gift of salvation if you'll trust Jesus and follow Him. It's a gift for anyone. And it's on the basis of what? Do you earn it because you were a good enough person, went to church enough times, read your Bible, had a quiet time every day? None of that applies. It's a gift. You receive it. And so what you do is you say, Jesus, I trust you. I believe you're telling the truth when you say that you are God, that you came here to save us. I'm trusting you to lead my life. I'm trusting that you know what you're talking about when you talk about things. So I'm going to follow you. I'm going to obey you because that's what faith does. When I trust you, I do what you say. And so you express your faith in Jesus. You do the very first thing he asks you to do when you trust him. You get baptized. You get immersed in water. And then you start saying, what else did Jesus say that I should do? What else did he say I should not do? And you start doing that because he's now the leader, the Lord of your life. That's how you get saved, and that's how you stay saved. Listen, you can't lose your salvation due to bad behavior because you didn't earn it by good behavior, did you? I want one of you to tell me what you did to get God's attention for him to save you, and you can't, and if you try to tell me, I'll tell you you're wrong with love, but you're wrong. God simply looked at you and said, I want you to be in my family. So I started with this question. Can you know for sure that you're saved? The answer I would tell you is absolutely. You can know for certain. You don't have to live in fear from day to day. And I'm not I'm not trusting my own goodness. What kind of a relationship did God call you into when he called you? Was it he's the parole officer and the judge and you're the parolee and one mistake, you're out? As far as I know, as I read the Bible, God invites you to be his children. Right? So he, that makes him the father. Now, I may be misunderstanding totally how to be a dad. I get that. But some of you are parents too. Do you kick your children out of the house every time they do something wrong? Again, I might not be doing parenting right, but I don't. (laughs) And I don't think God does either. He may have some conversations with you. He may discipline you, but God loves you and you are his child. And you can know that for sure. And your sinfulness does not shock him. And if you've been running away from him and there was a point in your life where you were committed to him, why not come back home? If you've never committed to him before, why not do that today? We can't baptize here at the theater, obviously. We don't have water here, but we have it over at the Fizey building two minutes from here. You need to get baptized and say yes to Jesus today. It'd be a great day to do that. I want to tell you, this is the best thing you could ever do. Don't let anyone ever tell you that there should be some kind of uncertainty or doubt. God didn't send Jesus so that you would just worry day to day whether or not you're good enough to get saved. Don't let your sinfulness push you away from Jesus. Turn to him. If you need to repent of something, do that today. We're coming up to communion time. Communion doesn't forgive your sins, but it's a great time to ask for forgiveness. Why don't you, uh, I'm going to pray for us now, and why don't you just have a quiet conversation in your heart with God and ask him what your next thing is that you should do today. Will you do that? can okay, invite you to go ahead and stand up and I'll pray Father thanks for today just very clearly laying out in your word what we're supposed to do, what you expect for us how you feel about us and I pray for you to just be speaking to our hearts today that we would clearly know that like you're the one talking to us and that we would know exactly what it is you want us to do and then even a step further you'd give us some courage so that we could just ten seconds of whatever it is you're asking us to do and I'm, I'm sure father that that whatever it is you want us to do, it's good and it's the best thing that we could ever do. Father, I pray for the people here in this room who are maybe hurting, that you would give them comfort. I pray for our country, that there would be a sense of peace and reconciliation. I pray for everybody who's grieving right now, that they would find the peace that comes through Jesus Christ. And I pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.